It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in for Kane Corns, who's uh, having a hard-earned break for a couple of weeks after a big footy season and also a big trade period. If you're just joining us, coming up on the show today, Nicole Bradkey will join us very shortly to talk about the summer of tennis uh, and how the Australian Open looks like it will be playing out. Brendan McCartney, uh, the former Western Bulldogs coach, uh, will also be with us. We'll look at the NBA draft from yesterday with Olgan Ulich uh, from ESPN. The quiz... Uh, coming as well. So plenty to get through in the next couple of hours. But before that, the first hour this morning has really been dominated by talk uh, of the rule changes that were announced uh, by the AFL on Wednesday. But they certainly have a big impact at VFL level or this new Eastern Seaboard competition, which will start in 2021. And uh, certainly in terms of uh, zoning and the fact that three pairs of players are going to have to be inside 50 uh, at stoppages. So it's going to have a big impact on the VFL clubs. And Danny Ryan the senior coach of the Frankston Dolphins VFL team has been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Danny. Morning, Jules. Great to, uh, great to be here, mate. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. Before we get stuck into your thoughts on the new rules and what it's like to be a, a VFL coach in 2020 without any footy, just for the listeners out there, take us through your journey in footy. It's a really interesting journey and uh, with so many different experiences. Just give us a snapshot of your time in footy. Uh, yeah, it's been a look a path less less travelled, I suppose. Um, look, I'm country Victoria. I'm a Colac boy down from Hodgie, and Tim Peakin's my cousin for a long time ago. But uh, spent some time in Sydney through work, and got involved with North Melbourne in '96 through Greg Miller, who I'm eternally grateful for. And um, sort of that led to you know doing a bit of recruiting and, and opposition up there, and then through to a couple of years with Melbourne with Neil Danaher and Fags, who's now at Brisbane. Uh, and then into St Kilda. So Johnny Beveridge, who sort of everyone's grandpa, lovely, lovely yeah. fella, called, I got involved in the New South Wales Scholarship Program So uh, in 2002, um, which sort of turned out players like Craig Bird and Taylor Walker and, and others at other clubs. Um, Jared Witts was actually a scholarship player from Collingwood all the way back. But that led me to work for St Kilda, and then in '09, Tony Elshaw and, and Matty Drain brought me on board. I moved back to Melbourne, brought the family back, and um, landed at a great time at the Saints with Ross and, and the boys. '09 and '010 uh, were fantastic years to be there. So it was an amazing experience. So yeah, I still sit here and pinch myself, to be honest, um, how lucky I've been on that sort of journey. And, so four years at the Saints and then a couple of years part-time at, at Port Adelaide doing a bit of opposition with um, Gotchi and, and Phil Walsh uh, and then had some time with Phil at Adelaide just in a, in a part-time capacity based here in Melbourne uh, and then obviously the, the tragedy happened with Phil. And So uh, I did some work at the Dragons, the under-18s. I, I coached the school footy team at Mentone Grammar because I'd left sort of full-time AFL and was doing some part-time things and, and then eventually hooked up with Justin Platt back out at Casey. So I was a senior assistant at Casey for a year and 
And then the journey took me down Frankton, down to our Skybus Stadium, the magnificent facility down there at the peninsula. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's been the, the long and the short of it, I suppose. Yeah, it's a great journey, and you've worked with some fantastic people there and, and in some successful times, as you mentioned, at the Saints, and uh, not a bad first year to start at North Melbourne winning the Premiership uh, in 1996 in the centenary year. But what's it been like for you this year? I mean, how much contact have you had with your players? How has it sort of played out for you without any VFL footy? Yeah, no, really, really challenging year. I suppose we call it the the, the, Kate, the Clayton's year, the year that wasn't without footy. But, um, look, we had a, you know, we're really lucky down there. We've got, we've got a young playing group and a, and a good coaching group. We're highly engaged. Um, we spent a lot of time sort of building relationships. So, that's been the great challenge, I suppose, not being able to actually see people and, and look them in the eye and really understand the body language and the, and the nuance of what people are saying. So a lot of Zoom meetings, um, a lot of Strava for players and coaches all training, running and riding and things like that while we sort of couldn't get out, and especially with the 5K lockdown, that made it tough uh, later in the year. But earlier in the year, before the season fell away, we trained in groups of 10s at, at different locations. Uh, and then we joined up again in groups of 20, and then once we got back to training, when we thought we were going to have a VFL season, just before the second sort of outbreak, um, we were back training. We'd had a couple of weeks of training, and we had some new players join us, and we were really hopeful of the standalones and, and the three aligned teams of having a VFL season. So there was a lot of hope and optimism, uh, and then unfortunately that fell over. Um, but look, it is what it is, and it was really, you know, the things you can control or you can't, it, it's really a simple philosophy, and, and that was out of our control. So the playing group stayed uh, engaged, and they're still talking. I see the, the banter online and various social media, so they're really highly engaged, but they're already looking forward now to what will be a really exciting year next year in a whole new competition. So when does pre-season start? Pre-season, have you got your boots ready? <laughs> we'll get we'll get you down there Monday. We're we're going to kick off this coming Monday um, down at Skybus, so and we'll have sort of seventy odd you know players, and we have a lot of new guys trialling and our return players coming back. But um, we think we can get four weeks in sort of before Christmas because um, for us it's about that connection piece, and our players haven't been able to be together. Um, and so look, it's not going to be an arduous training sort of block. Um, it'll be they're doing their own fitness work away under the guise of Chris Ross as our high performance manager. So the players are already doing that. So we just want to get them in and, and do some you know skills and drills and, and just enjoy each other's company a little bit. So our blocks, all the COVID principles will be adhered to, you know, be really strong on that and looking after them and making sure it's a safe environment around that respect. But the ability of players to get together and coaches to see each other, I think it'll be great. Yeah, Danny, you don't want a soon-to-be 40-year-old that played very wide back in the day down at your club, so I won't bother you with that. But you mentioned, so you're just about to start pre-season, and then on Wednesday the news comes through from the AFL that uh, zones will be trialled in this new competition. Now, I heard Mark Williams driving in this morning, the Werribee coach, say this was yep. news to him. Was this the, Did you hear about this for the first time on Wednesday? How did it play out from your point of view? I read it on Facebook. Right, so no consultation. Did you believe that? So. So there wasn't uh, a lot of consultation and um, it, was, it was interesting. And, and look, it, it goes back to what I just said before. You, there's two sides to every coin. You can look at the pros and the cons of it and, and, the, and the cons of it are, are pretty easy to see. But we don't know what will unfold and you know, maybe down the track it, it may work out well. I mean, I was involved at the Dragons when we had a little bit of density zoning with two pairs inside forward 50, which initially was two forwards. And so, of course, the defenders played 20 metres in front. So that didn't work quite well. Um, but the interesting one will be, I think, will be the pair in the goal square at stoppages. And I don't know if you've been to Frankston recently. It's a, it's a 183-metre long ground. <laughs> so 
So from a from a kick in at the other end, it's going to look a bit like 1941. So it could be a little <laughs> bit interesting. Yeah. Um, but it will spread it will spread the field out, and so if that's the aim and the intention, there may be well some merit. So we've got a really open mind about how it may unfold. Um, I think initially there's there's going to be a lot of scepticism around it, but let's uh, let's give it a chance and see sort of what unfolds because it'll coaches are pretty creative sort of people. Um, and other opportunities may unfold from it. But um, I suppose the concern may be that if it does bring, I think we'll lose a lot of time. So we might be up for some 40-minute quarters. You know, so resetting the field and, and at boundary throw in stoppages, the same thing happens. So three pairs, including one in the goal square, and that'll apply to both teams, so just not one team. So there might be a little bit of dead time waiting for um, players to get back into positions. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. It'll be interesting. So, I mean, there's been some criticism of this. Uh, Tom Gribble from uh, Werribee has accused the AFL of treating players in second-tier comps as lab rats. Uh, former Port, uh, Port Melbourne coach Dane Dunbar has been really critical, saying don't turn it into a Mickey Mouse competition with tricked-up experimental rules. He also lashed out at uh, Tristan Salter, labelling him a mad scientist, tinkering with historical <laughs> ledgery competition. So there is some anger around it. Are you disappointed that this competition's being used to have experimental rules or do you think well if they're going to be experimented this is the place that needs to needs to be trialed oh look i think there's there's a combination i think as you said at the start consultation was probably the earliest part i mean great leaders really talk to their key stakeholders and and engage them and you get real buy-in and the possibility that you know if we had some discussion mark williams has been around a long time won a premiership you know great coach gary Ayres, andy collins has moved from williamstown a long time vfl coach sturge myself there's, there's plenty of great football minds floating around the vfl that inherently have the love of the game and the care for the game we're not out to wreck the game either by the way so if you got us all in a room and talked about these sort of things i'm sure we'd have lots of things to, to add to it and to consider and we're not beholden to say that, listen, you know, we shouldn't do this. It's, it's actually the AFL competition and it's a privilege for us to be in it. So we understand, you know, the, the parameters that we're going to be playing under. But having some input into it, I think, would have gave a greater sense of engagement. And then the potential of the ability to maybe look at a practice season, practice uh, series of matches where a format where you could really trial it and then make a decision. I think the AFL, by the way, has actually still... Um, held on to the decision that they may change it if they feel like that it's not working. Um, so clearly, I, I understand the reaction, um, and I get that. Um, I, I try to be a little bit more level, I suppose, and it, it's not really in my control. We'll get our players and our coaches together, and we'll say, well, boys, here are the rules. We've got to play within them. It's, it's actually the competition we're in. We want to be in it. We're excited about what it's, what it's going to be. Um, so let's make the best of it and, and play to our... We've got, I think we've got some bigger fish to fry probably down our way. Do you think it'll work? Um, the jury's out, I suppose. As I said, in terms of sometimes, in terms, of, I think if we're talking about getting rid of congestion, there's other ways. And I've heard Alistair Clarkson mention it a lot, and I tend to agree with him. If you're quicker to pay a free kick, the team that gets the ball will spread the field, and you'll lose your congestion. But there's been a, a, a I guess, I suppose a theme away from paying a lot of free kicks, and we hear it all the time with with commentary, especially around finals. Let the game go. Let the game go. The longer you let the game go, the more congestion you get. We can't, you can't uninvent the wheel. And so players are fitter, stronger, quicker. And, and Steve Hocking mentioned that in his press conference. So we understand there's going to be some form of congestion and, and pressure does come to the game. But as soon as you relieve that by giving the team the ball, the team with the ball in offence will spread the field and you'll use all available space. So clearly, 
that's one way of actually removing the congestion as opposed to moving players into zones, which the, the initial thought is we're actually sort of heading down the netball space. And I've heard Lee Matthews talk about it a lot. Put one big line across the middle of the field because the last thing we want is to turn it into an NFL game where we've got a 1,000 marks and lines across the field. And the game has evolved over the 140-odd years it's been played. We never had a centre square. We had a diamond, and now we have a square. I suppose one of the conjectures is with the man on the mark at the kick-in going back to 15 metres, why do we even need the goal square? Because he just runs and plays on. It used to be a kick-out box uh, you know, a long time ago. So um, it'll be interesting. Uh, look, I've got an open mind to it, Jules, I think. You know, we, need to, we need to see it in action and see what it does look like because we don't know. We're only going on with what we think it's going to look like. And hence, I would have thought maybe some trial games in a, in a practice match series would have given you a lot of evidence about what it does look like and how it does unfold and some more data to support the theory. Because it's probably just a theory based on... And I'm, I'm sure at AFL Commission, I'm, I'm hoping, it sat around the table and really discussed it in depth. So we're going we'll to talk to Brendan McCartney about this shortly. But I'm just interested, as we've seen off the top here, you've got a great experience in footy at, at all different levels. So when, when you watch the game now... Uh, do you think it's a good game? Do you think it needs some major surgery, some minor surgery? Should it be left alone? Like, do you enjoy the game now compared to 20 years ago, or how do you look at it? I loved the game 20 years ago, and I love the game now. And and maybe that's because I've got you know I've got rose coloured glasses towards the game that you we all grow up as little kids kicking the footy at seven or eight years old, and your dad takes you to the footy, and you know I was involved in country footy clubs where footy's the heartbeat of the community, and and I'm still in love with the game as I was then. Um, and, you know, I grew up following Geelong. And so my first grand final ever was 89. And unfortunately, Geelong lost three grand finals on that day. And the under-19s reserves and the seniors in an amazing game of high-scoring, high-powered football. But uh, being in Sydney and having some understanding of the Swans and watching the Swans and West Coast play in 05 and 06, you're just as enthralled. I think for the true fan, you want a contest. Um, and that's never changed. You know, in any given round of eight or nine AFL matches, there's going to be two or three good contests and there's going to be some uneven ones. That hasn't changed since the 30s, 40s, 60s, yep. 70s. All we've got is now saturation of metre and we understand the good games and the bad games. So we get to see them. And so we all hunger towards the finals when we get a great final series uh, and hope for the great one in the, in the granny, which you don't always get, but your prelims generally deliver on a great contest. So I think, I think high scoring is not contingent on having a great contest. And I think the fans that pay their membership and go to the game they just want to see their team do well and they want to see a great contest. And they walk away seeing the stars of the game play really well and the teams of the game having, having a really enthralling contest. They're talking on the train on the way home. They're talking in the pub. They're talking at the coffee shop on Monday morning about how good the game was. I don't think they're talking about the rule changes and the blowout scores. And clearly they happen. Um, so I don't think it needs massive surgery at all. I, I think you can always... The custodians of the game, which the AFL are, uh, they've always got that responsibility to make sure the game's in good shape. But I think if we look at ratings and crowds and membership, I, I think we are in actually pretty good shape. Um, and I think the majority of the people, as I said before, especially the coaching fraternity, we've all got the, the love and the care of the game at our heart. And clearly we want to win. And when we play, it's like when you're a player, you play hard to win. But when you talk about coaching and tactical and things off the field, everyone's got the love of the game and the best interest of the game absolutely at heart. Uh, some people, so I don't think it needs major surgery, no. Yeah, some people say that you know, we had a caller earlier today saying that, that players don't play on instinct as much anymore with the the number of coaches and the tactics that, it, that, that you know, the instinct's been taken out of the game. What, what do you say to that? Oh, look, I think the great players, what makes them great is that they have a, a really high instinct for the game. 
um, or what makes them better. And as I said before, you, you can't, once we made the game professional, and, and this is a little bit about, about the rotations and then talking about bringing fatigue back into the game, sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for. The grass is not always greener. We bring, a lot, we bring high fatigue into the game, you're going to see the skill element go out. You're going to see poor kicks and scrubber kicks. And then if the ball's in contest, you're going to see more congestion come back. So there's, there's some other things that might come that you maybe didn't want by some of the things, which is why if you trial them and have a look and see what does happen, you might get some more evidence and data to really support what the theory is. But um, I think the great players, and I've seen them come through the TAC Cup, um, especially and I had some great time at the Dragons with Josh Kelly and Zach Merritt and then further on down the track with Tim Tarano and Setterfield and others, they had great instincts for the game. You know, and they're born with a sort of a footy genius or the, or the inherent nous they have to play the game. When they get some good coaching around them, they just get better tools to use. And so they're, that's why they become the elite. And, and that's what the AFL is. It's an elite competition of our sport driven by talented young players that are really driven to work hard and then they get good coaching. So if they get less coaching and they're more fatigued, we're going to see some skill. Our product may actually go backwards a little bit. That would be wary of that. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And just finally, uh, before we let you go, uh, the Dolphins, uh, new lights down there at Skybus Stadium. So you're going to get some night games down there next year. And also we had uh, a text before asking about uh, Nathan Freeman. How's Nathan going? Sorry, Jules, I've had a, missed a bad line there. Oh, that's all right. No, I was just saying you've got uh, new lights down there at Frankston. Does that mean you're going to get some night games? And we also had a text asking about how Nathan Freeman's going. No, you're still all crackly. I'm not, not sure what's happening. Oh, you got me now? Uh, we might let Danny go there. We've got a bad line. Now, Danny, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, good luck with Frankston next year and a uh, really interesting conversation about uh, how the new rules will affect the new Eastern Seaboard competition. Uh, you're listening to the Captain's Run. Julian Stoop filling in for Kane Corns after the break. We'll speak to Nicole Bradkey about the summer of tennis ahead. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.